0: Amen. Hey, guys. Hello? Nothing? All right. We're going to do it again. Hey, guys. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. That was actually an amazing moment where, first of all, I think it's just the practicality and reality of, like, I want to hear, if you have both bad news and good news, give me the bad news first so I can hear good news. But when, like, Brent and I agree, the unified voice of the Oasis people saying bad news is like, all right, God's already moving. Here, here we go. Um, what is the laziest moment you've ever had in your life? <laughs> Amen. No, I'm right there. Actually, I get it. I'm right there. I love that because you immediately had Oh, that's so good. I should just have you come up here and share it. won't do that. And you would be willing to. I know that would be amazing. Um, I heard a story, and there, I'm going I'm to speak of plenty of laziness about myself, but I heard this story of a guy on a naval ship ship <laughs> Brennan it's rough already man <laughs> on a naval ship man that's, that's horrible I'm not going to say that word again he was there's this guy who was the operations officers known as the OPS of this entire ship <laughs> I already lost it but he was not a morning person can anyone relate to not being a morning person? Is there anyone? Give me a show of hands something. Okay, not being a morning person. I'm, I'm kind of a morning person. I don't mind getting up. I get up. Um, my wife is not a morning person. And so I was reading this story, and I, and I was honestly imagining my wife as this operations officer in this, on this naval ship. And you know if you're not a morning person, or if you've seen those people who are not morning people, they wake up and they're like, they're groggy, Right? It's like blurry-eyed. It's like an hour and a half to wake up after they shower, right? Oh, well, that was this guy. This guy who's the operations officer of this entire ship. And he's just not a morning guy. And he comes in <clears throat> to what's known as the ward room. It's the officer's room. And he goes in there, and he sits down on, at a booth, at a table, and he's starting to eat his breakfast. And I can just imagine, like, he's eating, and the story later says he's eating a bagel. And I know that in moments of laziness for me in the morning, I'm not going to prepare a breakfast. I'm just going to grab something and start trying to eat and then like try to get myself to remember what does it look like to actually chew something. And this is what I imagine this guy like learning how to be alive. This type of batter, he wasn't a morning person. So he sits down and he's, he's, he's eating his bagel. He's eating his breakfast and he's continually squinting, kind of like I am because these lights are a little bright. But what's happening is that where this wardroom is, there's a window, and in this window, literally at this perfect time in the morning, the sun is beaming in right on his face. Right where he sat down. And so he's squinting, he's like struggling, he's a zombie trying to like remember how to breathe, remember how to chew. Like he's not awake yet, he's waking up. And he gets so frustrated that he puts the bagel down and he gets on the phone and he calls the bridge. And, and you know, like, that classic morning people voice. Like, have you ever called someone and woke them up? It's the, uh, what are you doing? Well, hey. But he calls the bridge. He says, hey, this is OPS, operations officer. I need you to move our bar pad. Yeah, 165. Okay, thanks. Hangs up the phone. Literally says that word for word. I don't know what any of those words means. He obviously does. He's the operations officer. He needs to know what that stuff means, even if he's a morning person not fully awake. And so he's squinting. The sun is in his eye from this window. And all of a sudden, from this eyewitness account, account, you can see this man who looks like he's barely remembering how to live. All of a sudden, the bright, shiny sun that was on his face started to shift and move to the wall directly behind him. And it started to move. And all of a sudden, it came this guy who was sitting in the room with him, came this realization of amazement and awe that instead of getting up and finding a different chair, he called the bridge and moved hundreds of thousands of steel, literally, because he can, because he's the operations officer of the ship. But not only steel, he moved and directed. Hundreds of people who were working on this ship. So he wouldn't have to move a chair in a spot because sun was shining on his face. And there's a literal quote from this guy who was watching this all happen. He says this. He says, after, like, sun's out, right, he can finally open his eyes. He's actually becoming awake. Sun's out in his face. He says, he picks up his bagel, and for a moment, this is the eye when it's gone, I'm terrified at the thought that his own genius may escape him, that he may never appreciate the epic brilliance of laziness, of his laziness. But between his next bites, he pauses, he looks at me, he gives me the faintest sly grin before returning to gnaw slowly on his bagel. What's the laziest thing you've ever done? I've never moved a ship so that... Sun could get out of my face We're continuing in our bridge to becoming series and tonight I get to talk about the vice of laziness And now I don't know this guy, right? I don't know if he was actually like laziness as a person like that's a vice that he struggled with and He, he dealt with this was a one-time thing But remember our vices are not just these one-time moments where we press into doing the thing we ought not not to do It's a pattern And so tonight as we look at this vice of laziness, what does it look like for us? To first and foremost recognize, well, as we live this life, what has God called us to? You see, God has called us to be passionate, courageous followers of Jesus. That want to pursue, not just living for self. Not chasing after our own desire. Not fulfilling what I want to f- be fulfilled. Not being comfortable Not having an easy life, but be passionate about the purposes of God and what he has for us. The Bible has a lot to say about laziness, and it has a lot to say about not just people, but even churches. Jesus in Revelation, he's writing letters to churches, and he gets to the church of Laodicea, and he says this. It's going to be on the screen. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot neither cold nor hot. But I wish you were either one or the other. But because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You see, the people of Laodicea, they were actually in a community in a city where they were financially well off. But just because they were well off, they were in a state and a spirit of just blah, of laziness. They weren't willing to do the work necessary that God has asked and called them to do. They were okay sitting back, being comfortable, and being lukewarm. God has not called us to be lukewarm. God has called us to be passionate, courageous participants of his purposes for us in this life. Are you disconnected? Are you lukewarm? Or are you on fire for Jesus? What does your life look like? Are you passionate about following Jesus? Because if we're not passionate about following Jesus, we will never apply ourselves. And the vice of laziness will grip us and keep hold of us. So what is laziness? Let's define it. Laziness is a slowness that has an aversion to hard things. It's taking an easy way out, and being completely satisfied in the trivial, a slowness and an aversion to hard, thi- hard things. I think usually when we think about laziness, right, it's the classic like couch potato person, which I love that word couch potato. Literally, it's just like you just chilling on a couch, eating a bag of potato chips. So I'm such a bum that you will literally your title and identity is couch potato. But it's not just this idea of idleness, and I'll get to that. It's this reality of the vice of laziness being disconnect and a disinclination to act. It's I don't want to do anything. But not even don't want to do anything, it's are the things I'm doing actually producing anything? Is work actually being done? Am I being productive or am I just busy? We're going to get to this, but St. John of the Cross talks about, has this quote about laziness. He says, laziness runs frettily away from everything that is hard. And he'll say about the Christian, the more spiritual the thing is, the more frustrating that they find it. The lazy person has a slowness and aversion to do the hard thing, to have the hard conversation, to put themselves in situation that pushes back against chasing after what the culture tells us to chase after or what our selfish desires tell us to chase after. And in that, when I'm chasing in laziness what I want to do in being comfortable and having an easy life, I just get frustrated when I hear the things that I'm not doing in following Jesus. Again, the Bible talks a lot about laziness. And Proverbs is a beautiful book that we're going to dive into a little bit for the next couple minutes, talking about this person called the sluggard. And the sluggard, literally, as I say that word, is a lazy person. So open your Bible, if you have it, Proverbs 26, verse 13 through 16. And know this, anytime a proverb is read and we read through Proverbs, these are not promises, these are principles. This is saying, okay, if you tend to and pursue living life like this, this is most likely what is going to happen. This is not a promise, but this is a principle. It actually helps us live the life that God desires for. So Proverbs 26, let's read this together. 13 through 16 says this. A sluggard or lazy person said there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. 14, as a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. A slugger, the lazy person, buries his hand in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. That sounds ridiculous. Think about that image. The lazy person puts his hand in a dish. They give you your utensil. You put your spoon down. You take one bite and you put it back in. So you've already started the process of eating. It Says the slugger to the lazy person, is so lazy that they're not willing to bring it back up to their mouth. That sounds ridiculous but the brilliant, obviously it's God, giving these words to the man writing these Proverbs is trying to tell us something more. And then finally, a sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer discreetly. If laziness is a slowness and aversion to do hard things, it's taking an easy way out. It's desiring and liking the trivial things that ultimately don't satisfy, then the lazy person is one who desires comfort and complacency. The sluggard is someone who's going to pursue in everything that they are comfort and complacency. An easy life. Ease is their end. Whatever I have to do not to work and excuses are their weapon. And as we read through this proverb, verse 13 He's saying, the sluggard's gonna say there's a lion in the street. He's a Roman lion who's looking to kill. Is literally an exaggeration and a lie made up so that the lazy person is making excuses to get out of responsibility. He's saying, I'm getting up out of my bow, but I can't come out of my house and go to work because there's a lion in the street. How insane does that sound? Remember, at the end of that proverb, what does he say? Well, the, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer discreetly. Not only does he not realize the excuse that he's making is ridiculous, it actually doesn't make sense, but he actually believes it. What excuses do you make in your life to avoid the hard thing? For me, this was really, really tough. As I was preparing, as I was reading, as I was praying, God put into my soul and my heart excuses that I was making where the vice of laziness had gripped my soul to not do the hard thing. I love young adult ministry. I love not just hanging out with you guys, but worshiping with you. I love being able to encourage and shepherd and pastor. I think that I am okay at being a young adult pastor. You know what I'm not good at? Is discipling a toddler, and I have two of them. Because what would happen is I would see my now six-year-old, but even a couple years back, my four-year-old, I see my, my, my eldest son, Wesley. And I would look at him and like, okay, I know how to share the gospel with a young adult. I know how to challenge and encourage a young adult. They have these questions that are not, hey, dad, can I have a snack? It's deeper and it's more. And so I made the excuse in my head that I'll just wait for Wesley to get older and then I'll know how to disciple him. And I'll know how to encourage him. And I can teach him then how to share his faith and share the gospel because right now he just doesn't get it and understand it. And I was making excuses because the vice of laziness had allowed me to make an excuse to avoid what was really hard for me. Where in your life are you making excuses? Where are you avoiding the hard thing? In verse 14, it says, a sluggard buries his hand... or. As a, as a door turns on his hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed, as you know and you look at a door, if you were to go to the door and you were open and shut that door, where's the hinge going? Nowhere. But it's moving a lot. Busyness does not always equate to being Productive. We think that the opposite of being lazy is filling our schedule with things, is saying yes to everything, but the reality is what's happening is we're more busy than we've ever been and less productive than we ever will be. The workaholic can still be lazy because busyness doesn't always equate to being productive. I don't know about you, but me and my wife a little too much love the snooze button. I don't know if you're like us. It's that nine minute, just like, all right, I can, I can, I can stay in bed for nine more minutes. And then there are some mornings and sometimes where I've all of a sudden hit the snooze button four or five times. <laughs> and that nine minutes turned into nearly an hour. If you hit the snooze button for 15 minutes a day that equals 92 hours in a year which is four entire days in that one year that we've snoozed and all snooze is is getting terrible crappy sleep before you actually get up like door on a hinges that continually move is like a sluggard who rolls around in his bed not willing to get up Working hard does not necessarily mean you are not lazy. 15, verse 15, laziness quits easily. It says, a sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it to his mouth. I think this epitomizes the desire of most Americans in pursuing the American dream to pursue retirement. I think that we want to get to the place to be able to retire so that life can be easy. And comfortable, where I no longer have to work, where I can quit and no longer be productive. I've never, no, I shouldn't say never, when I've figured out and, and seen in my life and pursued Jesus wholeheartedly, whether I'm a pastor or not, I don't want to be a person who sits at home away from people, not pursuing Jesus. Not pursuing relationships with people who don't know him, in retirement, being comfortable and complacent and having an easy life. I think the lazy person desires retirement in the way that our culture has set it up to be able to quit one day. Now, this doesn't mean you have to work 40 to 60 hours every week for the rest of your life. I'm not saying that. But I still believe. That even in retirement, God is asking us to be patient, uh, passionate, courageous followers of Jesus, to participate in his purposes of the world. Laziness is faint heartedness, it's an unwillingness to get into the battle and to get dirty, to do the hard thing. Laziness weakens and diminishes. Laziness allows us to be e- easily intimidated. But laziness is not just idleness. Laziness presses into the sin of disconnecting. It allows us to be okay with the evil in the world. Laziness sits back and doesn't speak up when we know of physical and emotional and spiritual abuse in homes. Laziness allows the well-fed and well-off to not serve and help those who are in our community that are not well-fed and not well-off. Laziness in the church says that social justice is not a part of the gospel. Laziness in the church is okay with consumerism, with individualism. Laziness is not just the lack of information and knowing that there are things in this world that we can help and pursue and bring Jesus to. See, the information is there. Often what happens is laziness allows us to lack inspiration. Where it's not that we don't see the problems, it's the vice of laziness says, it's not your job. The vice of laziness allows us to sit and be disconnected. So some questions from that and then we're gonna move past laziness. What do you disconnect from? Who are you disconnected from? Do you make excuses like I have to get out of responsibility? Are you busy but lack something to show for your busyness? Do you start things like your meal and then let your hands sit there because you're too lazy to bring it to your mouth but not finish them? Do you change commitments too quickly? Are we lazy? Should we change pace a little bit? (laughs) This was heavy for me, guys. This was hard. I thought coming in to preach and prepare this message, I thought, all right, laziness is not a problem I have. And I was dead wrong. I allow myself to disconnect. I make excuses to not do hard things. But what's awesome is that we have a God who doesn't just let us sit there, right? And so we move from laziness, the slowness and aversion to hard things, uh, looking for the easy way out, to the virtue of diligence. And it's not about having to do all the things and be participated in everything. It's not about filling your schedule so that I appear busy and am doing things, even if they're all good things, because you can be too busy, even if it's all church things or follower of Jesus things. It's not about having to do all things or be passionate about all things, but the reality is God's asking us in diligence that we can be passionate about some things and we can participate in some things. Diligence defined as consistent, committed, and energetic effort. Colossians 3:23. Whatever you do, work at it wholeheartedly as though as you working for the Lord and not just people. Diligence says committed. I'm committed to this. I'm not gonna give up even when this hard thing happens. I'm gonna be consistent. I'm gonna follow through with the commitments that I made to this person, to this organization, to this group. To my family to this church but not just that it's energetic effort it's the reality that when I am come I'm passionate about it and when I'm passionate about something I'm going to apply myself I'm going to push into it I'm going to learn what I need to grow in to figure out how to do that thing better Romans 12 says never be lazy but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically and here's what I don't mean I don't and and, and this is what I do, I mean passionately, enthusiastically, but know what passion looks like for you. How I'm passionate about something is not how my wife is passionate about something. When I know she's passionate about something, her eyes light up. She doesn't get demonstrative like me. (laughs) That's just a reality. Her eyes light up, and I can just, I see it. I, I get passionate when I'm able to be with you guys in any corporate body, whether it's 20 people or, or 2,000 or when we are at Passion, 60,000. I get passionate when we're able to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and, and sing and praise God and give Him glory. So what do I do? I get demonstrative and I start moving and I start jumping and i dance if I could dance, but I can't dance. But then I try to dance and I remember I'm not good at that. But I get demonstrative. Abby is just as passionate in those settings, and in those moments of worship, in corporate settings where we're praising Jesus, but her passion looks different, and that is okay. That's not bad. What does energetic effort look like for you? Because it's different for all of us. But don't allow yourself to be complacent and comfortable. Be committed. That's what diligence says. Be consistent and be passionate. And here's what this looks like. Proverbs 13.4 tells us this. It says, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Here's what this means. The diligent person works to get out of spiritual poverty, and the diligent person experiences contentment in their life. And here's what I mean by spiritual poverty. The church of Laodicea, who was lukewarm, they were in spiritual poverty. They were not willing to, to do the hard things to pursue Jesus in a way that they knew knew they needed to pursue Jesus. They were not consistent, committed, or passionate about the things of God. Now this is different than when Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount of blessed are the poor in spirit. To be blessed as one who is poor in spirit is to have this recognition that I need a savior. To experience day after day spiritual poverty is to say I don't need to change. The diligent person is able to get out of spiritual poverty and is able to experience a contentment in this life that is beyond anything you can ever imagine or understand. Diligent people find contentment not with the outcome of their consistency or their commitment or their effort. Diligent people following Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit Find contentment in the faithfulness of doing the hard thing that's been asked. Contentment in Christ, knowing that he is the fulfillment, not the fruit that comes from the labor and the work that's been accomplished. You see, the diligent person ultimately pursues commitment and understands their calling. This is where the inspiration comes, where the lazy person has ease as their end, comfortability as their goal, excuses as their weapon, the diligent person understands whose they are and who they are. The diligent person recognizes that they are a part of a calling and something bigger than they could ever imagine or accomplish on their own. They are called into a beautiful, intimate, incredible relationship with the creator of the universe. And then from that are inspired to go and share that relationship with the world. The grace of God given to us through his son, Jesus. The diligent person is able to be committed and consistent and energetic and passionate because they understand their calling as a son or daughter of God. And they understand that the life we live in now is a temporary one. The world we're experiencing as it is now is not our home. There is something bigger and greater waiting for us. But just like last week, what's awesome is I'm not just gonna sit here and say, okay, there was laziness, good luck, pursue diligence now. The whole idea of this series is we wanna rest in the reality that God gives us means of grace to actually not just pursue, but live out the virtues that he's called us into. And so for the means of grace this week, last week we went from lust to purity, you had to rest and live out and understand the means of grace of love. To go from laziness to diligence, we have to understand and move into the means of grace of courageousness, of being courageous. The means of grace is courage. You see, the lazy hope life will be easy and fun, quickly distracted, desiring inaction. They're afraid and lose heart easily, making excuses day in and day out. But the means of grace of courage as we step into this will help us become the diligent people that God has asked us to be. Now, courage is simply this. It's sturdiness of the soul. It's a willingness to run the race marked out for us with perseverance. This is Hebrews 12.1. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and every sin that so easily entangles and run the race marked out for us with perseverance. Courage says, I have a sturdiness to my soul. It's not just a mindset that I need to make a brave action and step into something. It's saying, no, there's something holistically about me that is able to take that step, that is able to push into diligence, that is able to be consistent and committed and passionate. For us to become courageous followers of Jesus, Jesus who move from inaction, indifference, and apathy, from desiring ease and comfort and idleness and disconnection, to ones who diligently pursue the plans of God, we need to have an expectation adjustment, Right? You've heard me talk about expectations all the time. I think expectations lead us to great disappointment when they're either unrealistic or not prayed about. What happens in the church and in our world and our culture is we become lazy and we live into that vice because our expectation about life is that it's supposed to be fun and easy, is that it's supposed to be comfortable. And I'm not saying fun is bad. I like to have fun. I think sometimes I'm a fun person. Depends on who you talk to. But the adjustment that needs to be made when it comes to expectations is life is not just about having fun and life is definitely not about having an easy one or a comfortable one. Life is about the pursuit of God and his agenda. Life is about trying to understand that calling, not what he has called me as a son or daughter, but what he's called me into in making disciples of all nations and letting the world know that Jesus is Christ, God, Savior, Messiah, King, and Lord. And this does not happen in a self-willed reality of trying to pursue and build up courage within ourself. Of saying, all right, I'm just gonna be courageous and from that I'll be able to pursue diligence. You see, biblical courage in some ways is defined as the ability to do something brave out of a motivation of the heart. Psalm 31, 24 says, be strong and take heart. All of you who hope in the Lord. You're able to be strong. You're able to take heart. You're able to get motivation because your hope is not in yourself. Your hope is not in something of this world. Your hope is in who? It's in Jesus. The word tells us that the joy of the Lord is what? Our strength. And so it's motivation to courageously and passionately live out the purposes of God, not because I think I can do it, not because he's just called me to, but because there's a reality that my joy is in the one who has called me son. My joy and my hope is in the one who defeated sin and defeated death and rose from the grave, who has victory over all things, not just now, but forever. You see, when my hope and my joy is in something that big, I'm able to step into things that are hard. I'm able to not just avert and look away and pass by and ignore. I'm able to have the hard conversation. I'm able to be courageous because it's not the self-will thing that I built up within. It's the reality that when I look at Jesus and I see everything that he's done, And I look what he's done in my life and the people around me. I know that I'm here for something much more bigger than just me. And much more bigger than even just my wife and my kids. It gives me courage and motivation. Because my hope is in Jesus. And my joy is in him. You see, and we need that motivation. Because it takes courage to trust God with your finances especially as a college student and young adult. It takes courage to be a 20-year-old sitting with nothing, knowing God has asked you to tithe and to give to his purposes in the world, but I don't have any money in my bank. And so to give the little amount, trying to trust in his provision, knowing that he's faithful to his promises, it takes courage to use your money for more than just yourself. It takes courage to redefine the college experience. We all know what that is coming in. Right? It takes courage to say, no, I'm not gonna pursue drinking just because that's what you're supposed to do as a college student. 21. As soon as I turn 21, all right, I suppose now, since I yeah, I've been following Jesus, but now it's okay to drink, so I'm just gonna go all in. It takes courage to redefine. Not just the college experience, but pursuing biblical relationships. And not just romantic, but I'm talking friendships as well. Where the world uses people, where selfish, lazy people use people for their own advancement. It takes courage to say, you know what? I'm done having relationships like that. I'm going to put biblical boundaries around my relationships i'm gonna put biblical principles and practices into my relationships i don't care if that's not how my friends are doing it this is what i'm gonna do it takes courage as a young adult to put christ ahead of your career but when you have your hope in jesus when your joy is in him that courageous motivation is not a self-will it's a reality that we are part of something more And because we are part of something more, I don't know about you, that gives me courage to be committed and to be consistent and to be passionate about Jesus and what he desires, not just for me or my family or for you, but what he desires for this campus and community. It takes courage to rethink retirement, to go against culture. But how do we do these things? Four practices. Four practices. What it looks like. And this list is not exhaustive. This is not like these are the only four things you have to pursue to figure out what it looks like to step into the means of grace of pursuing diligently the purposes of God and doing that courageously. These are just things as I've talked to Pastor Steve as he did his sermon series. I've looked at it, I was like, yep, these all look good. I've done all these and I want to do all of these. To practice courage we need to first and foremost pick faithful followers to imitate. The Bible tells us and has stories time and time again of incredible people who love Jesus, who made hard decisions, who did hard things, who didn't avert, who didn't stay in comfortability and ease. You have people like Joshua and Caleb who were two of the 12 spies going in and sent in as 12 spies to the promised land to go and do some recon. And they went in and they saw the land and all 12 came back and 10 of them said, the land is beautiful and there's plenty and it's everything that the Lord described, but it's too well defended. We can't enter in. We will lose. We will die. And Caleb and Joshua come back and they said, the land is everything the Lord said. Because we have God on our side, we can take it because he will take it, because he has promised it. But there was disbelief within the people. And so God kept his people from entering the promised land. He kept those who didn't believe back, except for two. Caleb and Joshua not only were able to enter in the promised land because they preached of God's faithfulness, knowing he was going to be able to do what he said he was going to do and bring them in. They were actually the leaders of God's people. You read in Acts 3, chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Paul and John and they're going to the temple to pray and they come up to this blind beggar and he asks for money and and he said, we don't have money but what we have is something greater and they pray for him and they heal him. And the religious leaders were not okay with that because they didn't like Jesus being preached. Because Jesus being preached pushed back against what they desired, which was power to stay in control, to be an e- have an easy life and a comfortable life. So they threw them in jail. And as they threw them in jail, they started having a trial. And they said, hey, you can't preach this Jesus anymore. And Peter says, we will not listen to man, but we will listen to God. And so they threaten them and release them, And the next day they start healing and preaching Jesus. And they throw them in jail again. And they want to kill him, but they don't. They beat them and release them, and they go on praising God that they were persecuted for Jesus. They didn't avert hard things. Do we have people in our life, do we look up to faithful followers and imitate them? And it's not, it doesn't just stop in the Bible. Every single one of you has a person in your life who's been a faithful follower that you can look at, and you've seen their courage and how they followed Jesus, in situations and circumstances that were tough, where they faithfully followed in the hardest of ways, where they were diligent, consistent, and committed, and passionate about Jesus. And it's okay to look up to, the, say, to those people and say, I want to be like that. Paul said it three different times in his letters. He says, imitate me as I follow Jesus. Jesus because he knew his heart for following Jesus. It's okay to look at our people. It's like, who are your heroes of the faith? Choose to follow in their footsteps. Second one, put down distracting entanglements. He says, as in Hebrews 12, throw off everything, right? And the sin which so easily entangles. We get too disconnected and distracted. It's too easy for us to fall into this sin and vice of laziness and disconnection, right? I mean, we can look at our phones in our pockets and know I'm spending too much time. What does it look like to put down those distracting entanglements? Because what we think needs to happen or what we end up doing, and I'm going to talk about this in a little bit, but what we end up doing is that we end up binging Netflix and TV for a couple hours and we say that we got rest. But the reality is, is that was just an entanglement to distract you, to disconnect you from what God is trying to do in your life. I'm not saying TV is bad. I'm saying, how are we spending our time? Have you put down the things that tangle you up and trip you up? Is there a sin that you have not confessed? Is there a person that you need to forgive? Is there someone you need to ask forgiveness from that's weighing on your heart that you continually think about? Put it down so it can stop entangling you. Number three, pay attention to the little that controls. Now, these things are not the things that are necessarily sin, but they're ones that we end up pushing into that we don't realize actually control us. Kind of like relationships. What we end up doing is we answer every phone call and we respond to every text and we are trying to encourage and help the people that we love. And over time, what ends up happening is that it's keeping us from actually asking a question, okay, God, what are you actually doing in my life? See, these little things aren't bad things, but the little things aren't the great thing. Who is Jesus? What does it look like for you just to pay attention to those moments? Maybe you need to schedule a time, literally schedule a time in your calendars to meet with God. Maybe you need to not add something, but integrate a conversation about Jesus with people you're already meeting with. Don't allow the little to control you. And then finally, in the fourth one, and I wish I could get into this one more, but we need to practice Sabbath rest. The goal here tonight is not to have you add things so that you are no longer lazy. Because like I said, busyness doesn't always mean productive. Busyness can actually be more detrimental sometimes than doing nothing. By practicing a Sabbath rest, and I'm not going to be able to define it well, I'm not going to tell you how to do it well in this time, but we're going to do a three-week series at the end of the semester. It's our final series called Hustle and Hurry. And we're going to talk through Sabbath and talk through what rest and what that looks like. And Sabbath just for right now is simply this. It's not... A moment of rest where we pursue idleness and apathy, but it's purposeful time where we get soul rejuvenation and restoration. And here's the thing, your Sabbath rest and your spiritual rest or your rest in general is gonna hit you whether you know it or not. Sometimes when we get sick, it's because we're overworked. And so when you get sick, it's sometimes your body just saying, hey, slow down. So you can choose to be intentional with your moments of rest, or you can wait and allow your busyness to take over to where you're forced to slow down. God says, practice the Sabbath rest. Get moments and times where you're rejuvenating your soul, where you're pursuing restoration. This is not sitting down on the couch, like I said, and binging Netflix for hours because that's numbness. This is putting yourselves in situations where you're meeting with the Father, where your soul is being encouraged. Be strong and courageous, knowing that the courage comes not from ourself, but from the reality that we have a hope and a risen savior. I don't know where you're at, this, this laziness thing was harder for me than I thought it was gonna be. It just was, I make excuses, I fill my, my, my schedule with time, or with things over and over, and I allow myself to get busy, and I'm just a hinge on the door moving but going nowhere. I don't know what you need to let go and lay down. I don't know what thing that's trying to control you that you need to recognize and pay attention to. I don't know what Sabbath may look like for you this week but we don't want you to do it alone. And even in this moment, as there's some time to pray and as we're gonna worship through another song again, we're gonna, every week, we have people ready to pray for you. And not just pray for you, but talk with you through some of this stuff to see what's going on in your life, to be able to just encourage you with what's happening around you. And if it leads to prayer, great. But if you just need to be encouraged, they're there. Father God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that you've given, <laughs> that you've passionately committed yourself to us time and time again. And I ask that you would help every single one of us be courageous, having that motivation of heart, that, that soul sturdiness to press into being all out for you, Jesus knowing that that soul sturdiness is not something we create within ourselves, but it's motivation from the reality that we serve a God who is good and great. That we live in a time that we live right now with certain relationships and spheres of influence where you've empowered us to bring the good news. Help us be courageous. Help us be diligent. Holy Spirit, will you fill us? We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name.